Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The legends are true. We're overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. My name is Josh Norris. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for still believing in us. I know we've been gone for two weeks. That's me. I was on vacation, but we're back. It's almost mid-June. Football season's just around the corner. So, of course, I would be back. I would never forget about all of you. In fact, I do want to brag about you all just for a moment. You know, we've been doing this podcast, I think, for over three years now, and you all still make us the most listened to show on NBC Sports Network. Each and every month you do that. So I really, really appreciate that. Like I said, I have been gone for two weeks, and if I can be totally honest with you, don't tell anyone. I've barely checked football news during that time period, so I'm really going to use this episode as kind of a catch-up for all the big moments that have happened over the last few weeks, and it's been a lot. And the best way for me to do that is to bring on my friends, Roto Pat and Ray Summerlin, to not just give you the news, but, you know, give their two cents along with it. So let's kick it off with that conversation and start here. Mr. Bougie Josh, uh, back from his trip to Europe. Uh, I would never even set foot in Europe. Lots of fancy Instagram pictures getting thrown around. Oh. Except for the three times I've been to Europe, I would never even consider going to Europe. Um, <laughs> it was a lot of wine. Uh, it was a lot of wine. Basically, all you really need to do is you need to marvel at the fact that Bill Belichick is currently laundering his longtime right-hand man for like a day three draft pick. There's the long game, and then there's what Bill Belichick does. He's willing to end that long of a relationship for a six-round pick, and it's really it's special. Ray, if we tra- if we traded Pat, what do you think we could get in return? I mean, I think we could probably get. I mean, it would be a nice bag of chips. So like one of like the, the party size. <laughs> the Cape Maybe Cod some, party size? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a fancy bag of chips. Like we could definitely All get right. a fancy bag of chips. It would be chips that claim to use sea salt when everyone just knows there's normal <laughs> salt. Um, but still, it's the claim that's important. Uh, a lot of stuff actually happened. I was stunned checking back on it over those two weeks, how much happened. Um, And we really should start with this. Uh, Carson Wentz, the Philadelphia Eagles quarterback, has signed an extension with the Philadelphia Eagles. He now has a contract that adds up to six years, $154 million, uh, with $107 million in guarantees that last through the 2024 season. Ray, Carson Wentz, 27 years old. He's recently had two seasons that ended in – Fairly serious injuries, but we don't have to go back too far. Just 2017, 
when he was basically the best player in the league, the MVP of that year before he went down. Uh, 33 touchdowns and seven interceptions in this year. What did you say about this contract when it came out, Ray? Because I missed it. The, there are two takeaways for me. The The first one, and I guess the fantasy takeaway you want, is that they are not worried about Carson Wentz's health, which I think is something that we at least had to be concerned about. Now, he he did participate fully in the offseason program, so that was a, a good indication to start with. But them handing out this deal means, yeah, they're they're not worried about it. His health is fine. And so that that's my first, I think, the more interesting thing. The second idea is like, what is this going to mean now moving forward for Jared Goff and Dak Prescott? Because those are that's going to be the story of the summer. Some of these guys were going to be looking for these extensions. Uh, Julio Jones on that list as well, obviously not a quarterback. But we're going to be looking at those names and, and what are they going to do? I mean, Prescott, the Cowboys are reportedly fine with paying him $30 million dollars. He's probably going to want a little more than that now. How is that going to work out? I think it's going to be really interesting to see how those quarterback situations play out. Yeah, Josh, like you, I was on the road last week and I was in rural Virginia uh, fighting off ticks all weekend. But I, you know, to me, we basically were I, having the same experience. Yeah, so, so I didn't see the Carson Wentz news <laughs> until like a few hours after the fact. But you know, my thoughts basically: Eagles probably smart. You'd get ahead of what could be. Uh, a career year for Carson Wentz for a guy who's already had an MVP level campaign. I, it looks like he's going to have the best supporting cast of his career this year. So makes sense for them. I feel like to just get it, rip the bandaid off, get it done now. And yeah, it's hard when you see this basically not to immediately think of Jared Goff because Carson Wentz is better than Jared hmm. Goff, but Jared Goff has had, uh, you know, maybe slightly more definable success and, the Rams are kind of protesting too much, I feel like, when it comes to basically today, uh, Sean McVay basically guaranteed they would extend uh, Jared Goff, which you know, I do believe they're going to ultimately not have any choice. But it's just fascinating because you know, we all know that you know Goff is you know, maybe to like a unique degree being managed and manipulated by his brilliant coach. But at the end of the day, I guess if you can do it, does it really matter? So, yeah, Wentz, we all expected to get paid the whole time and – yeah, to me, it's just most fascinating for the way it, it kind of changes the Jared Goff dynamic, which is really not very much at all, I guess. Well, but it, it's a fair point to bring up because they're obviously tied at the hip. I mean, they were in the same draft class. They were the pick number one with Goff, pick number two with um, with Carson Wentz. And they actually shared the same group, the same agency, the same representation. And like, if you're considering it from a draft capital standpoint, then Goff should receive more money. But from an on-field standpoint, not saying that Jared Goff has been bad on the field I'm not saying he's been great either but he hasn't been bad but Carson Wentz has just been far superior so his contract should should point to that Ray I guess my question to you is this and you can kind of tie it in with golf and with Wentz you know for multiple years now and especially this past offseason we've talked about how team building like the real cheat code lately has been finding a really good young quarterback on a rookie deal and spending your money elsewhere the flip side of that, though, is when you have to pay that young quarterback um, a lot of money. I'm not saying that that's a bad process, Ray, but it will perhaps alter these rosters somewhat, won't it? Yeah, I imagine so. But I mean, you look at the Eagles specifically, and they've done such a good job yeah. building a, a too deep roster. I mean, they're they're not thin, really anywhere i mean linebacker maybe but like they have done such a good job building that that kind of two deep roster through the draft that i don't know how much it's going to affect them and especially since they're in that 
point where they're able to plan ahead. They're able to draft Dillard this year so that they can replace Jason Peters next year. So they're not searching for a replacement there. So I think that I think that they're in that good spot. We'll see what happens with the Rams. I don't think the Rams roster is at the same level. Um, and they have a lot of money tied up in Gurley as well, which might end up looking like a really bad contract. So so the Rams, I don't know how it's worked out. But for the Eagles, I think I really think they're going to be fine. And I think that's a very fair point. And I don't want to come off as saying like, oh, this closes their window, because that's not my point at all. Um, and I think with good franchises, the most important thing is, yeah, once you have good decision makers uh, and tying them with a good quarterback, you're going to have a good team no matter what. So I guess maybe it closed the window more for teams that obviously um, were just fortunate to land a good quarterback and haven't really built around them like the Eagles have. Because the Eagles have, like you said, especially when they won the Super Bowl, their two deep roster was absolutely fantastic. Pat, is it any of a hot? Is it a hot take at all to say I think that Carson Wentz is like? Other than maybe your Drew Brees and your Patch Mahomes, like the odds on favor to be MVP heading into the 2019 season? Yeah, I'd say it's a bit of a hot take. I'd say he's more like in the top five to six range. Uh, okay. It's basically people getting like a, a narrative like preloaded because like we kind of all want him to bounce back to that level. And he's clearly going to be playing at a high level. But, uh, you know, there's going to be like Andrew Luck. Uh, I mean, Mahomes, we've all like written off like Mahomes kind of like the not written off, but like. All the talk about Mahomes would be regression, but you know, especially if Tyree Kill is going to be available the whole season. I mean, why would Patrick Mahomes not be the odds-on favorite to win another MVP? Um, so I would put him more kind of like in the the second tier of likely MVP candidates, but he's still a likely MVP candidate. I wasn't going to bring this up. They said I didn't tell you that this was a topic, but I think we should talk about it. Um, the Tyree Kill situation—the right word. Like, I mean, it seemed just a month ago, a couple weeks ago, if you had a brain, you kind of, and a heart, you kind of thought that there's no way that Tyreek Hill does not face some type of punishment or um, some type of repercussions that will prevent him from playing an entire season. That still could potentially happen, but I believe Tom Pelissero recently wrote that Tyreek Hill as long as nothing happens between now and training camp, he's slated to be at training camp. Ray, that's quite a twist in this story that has really been dark and awful kind of this offseason for the past couple months. Yeah, I mean, I think it it turned pretty quickly whenever whenever the whenever the district attorney came out and said there wasn't an active case. It seems the Chiefs have taken that as saying, all right, we're gonna keep this guy around i know i know andy reed said something today what did he say today pat i uh, said that he had no comment which uh to me you know n- not <laughs> what i want to really hear that's he said all he encompassing had, <laughs> yeah he said he had no comment because the last time he made a comment he quote unquote stepped in it which uh you know fair you did but also uh that's not really an excuse uh you've yeah. been an nfl coach for 20 years you've dealt with a lot of delicate situations uh people kind of deserve a comment on this but uh like Josh, you said, like the smart money from the beginning kind of, you know, was assuming that Tyreek Hill was not going to play in 2019. But it did kind of I think maybe we all kind of ignored the fact that uh, the Chiefs should have cut him. But the fact that they didn't cut him immediately, obviously, uh, spoke volumes in ways where it seemed like maybe they had an inkling. This would, quote unquote, blow over. Not that that's what it's actually done. Uh, but, yeah, the, the Chiefs uh, maybe were 
kind of hoping, planning, maybe praying just for this to happen all along. And it's the fact that he's made it this far, clearly he's going to keep his roster spot. And it's really just a matter of how long the suspension is. Cause I feel like he probably will still get a suspension. Uh, we there's, we've seen the NFL suspend players on far less flimsy evidence than exists in this case. Um, so suspension probably is coming, but kind of against all odds, uh, his roster spot appears safe. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Like, I, I don't think the chiefs are going to cut him. That doesn't look like that, but I would be shocked if he's not suspended. I mean, I don't yes, know how the NFL yep. could, could like just from even just like from a PR perspective, not even talking about anything else, but how they could come out and say, no, we're not going to suspend this guy that has a history. And now we have this situation like that would just be awful for them. I, I assume they've learned their lesson through all of this. And I assume never he's going assume to get that with the NFL. I know, I know, I know. So I assume he's going to get a suspension, but I doubt it's more than like eight games. It might just be six right. games. So like we're talking about Tyreek Hill probably being back in, back in the league by week nine, week 10. So it's, it's what I think it's one of those, he's probably going to get suspended, but ultimately like, when when it matters for the Chiefs, I bet he's back on their team. Yep, he's he's he'll be out there for the most important games and second half of the season, playoffs, maybe even a Super Bowl run. Um, and and from a team perspective, and that's why you know they didn't cut him immediately. And Pat, that's a great point. Like that's the big difference between you know the Cream Hunt situation and the Tyreek Hill situation. Not saying it's like for like comparable, but you know one was cut immediately and one is still on the roster because you know the information wasn't as evident. I guess he didn't lie to them, so on and so forth. So they just want him on the team. They want him on the field. Switching gears, when it, before I left, we had a podcast on the timing of the Jets GM firing of Mike McCagnan. Now one has been hired, and his name is Joe Douglas. Speaking of the Philadelphia Eagles recently, he was most recently with the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, I believe he spent three seasons with them. I go and do these, and in fact, I just posted the NFC East one these uh, draft decisions, press conference. And for the past couple of years, uh, after each uh, day of the draft, it's been Harry Roseman, it's been Doug Peterson, and it's been Joe Douglas. That's, you know, a, a lot of, not hype, but a, a spotlight, a pretty big spotlight on someone who, you know, wasn't one of the top two people in the Eagles organization. And Pat, if, if I can kind of maybe project, and, and really this is what I've heard of the Eagles group, Doug Peterson obviously coaches and and puts the players out in the field that the front office gives him. The front office is Harry Roseman, who has had his own ups and downs in the Eagles organization. But the real football guy, like the real evaluator, is Joe Douglas. And I'm assuming he's going to carry that mindset and that mantle uh, to the New York Jets. I mean, it's a coup for the New York Jets, who kind of had like the ultimate like treading water GM and Mike McCagnan, who wasn't like across the board terrible, but very much kind of like had like kind of like a band aid philosophy, kind of very in the moment GM, which you don't really want to do when you've got like a rebuilding roster. Um, and I'd rather have uh, someone who's been Howie Roseman's right hand man, uh, hopefully leading the front office. I get the suspicion Adam Gase will still have final say. But you know, you'd have to be a lot more confident as a Jets fan having a huge a top uh, Howie Roseman lieutenant coming over and running the front office than you would Adam Gase. So hard to find something bad to say about the hiring right now. Uh, but I'm sure you know Adam Gase is working on it, and in six months maybe we'll already have some friction to report on. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of an unequivocal win for the Jets right now. Ray, was it interesting at, at all to you how this hiring came about? 
because like there were reports that you know they offered Joe Douglas money the Jets and then he turned it down and then they basically said okay we're going to give you everything that you want six years three million dollars a year or is that just like good business and smart mo- and smart money and smart moves by Joe Douglas? Oh, you mean from Douglas's perspective? I thought you were talking about from the Jets' perspective. From well, Douglas, both. well, both. from Douglas's perspective, I mean, obviously he was he was in a comfortable spot in Philadelphia with, like I said, a very good roster that he was that he's getting credit a lot of credit for. It makes it would make sense for him to stay there unless it's the perfect situation. I'm not sure working with Adam Gaze is the perfect situation, but if they're going to give you a lot of money, then it goes for him. For the Jets, I mean, I I always. I don't like talking about these GM hirings because we don't know. Like that's the answer is we have no idea. Like the only thing that we know about these GMs who are hired is what we, what we hear about like how the league feels about them. That's, that's literally all we know. And obviously the league feels strongly about Douglas. They felt strongly about other GMs who have failed miserably. So (laughs) we don't know. The, The point will be that can he work with Adam Gaze, which we've learned over the last several years is a difficult proposition. And if he can, and they can get that entire franchise working together for the first time in forever, then it probably will work out. If they can, it it probably won't. So I bet that's basically what it'll come down to. Pat, does it matter that Joe Douglas got a longer contract than Adam Gase? Does that give him the ultimate power here? Or again, does it even matter in this case? Or is it something we don't even know? Yeah, it's just, it, I would say it doesn't matter. We don't know. It, an Adam Dace, Gase power dynamic, uh, you just have no idea how that's going to play out. Uh, he lost a power struggle in Miami and then instigated and immediately won one with the Jets. So it's just a kind of an ultimate wild card situation. And I'm assuming you know, all that money's guaranteed, unlike they are with the players, but yeah, it wouldn't be the first time a team has fired someone with three guaranteed years remaining on their contract. So I would say the length of the contract really has uh, nothing to do with it. Isn't there an NFL team that's paying like three GMs right now? <laughs> probably. You're thinking of probably like every college football team is paying three head coaches <laughs> there, right now. There are definitely a lot of college teams. A lot of college teams paying three head coaches. Yeah, I think the University of Colorado is currently paying five uh, head football coaches. So don't quite <laughs> quote me on that. I believe it actually is two to three. I think Fulham is also uh, paying seven managers still. So <laughs> that's low for a team in high level English soccer, though. So, as Villa fans, we're not really able to talk about cycling through managers. So <laughs> uh, you might want to you might want to calm yourself there. Everything is perfect now, Ray. Things could not be better. Uh, also, with Joe Douglas, just conclude this point. Todd McShay, Phil Savage, names that have been thrown around, and why might you ask? Well relationship oriented joe douglas and todd mcshay were on the same college football team at richmond and joe douglas worked for phil savage along with daniel jeremiah with the baltimore ravens speaking of relationships let's shift over to the houston texans who have fired brian gain after just 17 months uh ray this goes back to your point of not knowing what these front offices are like because i don't know if we can really tie any moves over the last year or so to Brian Gain, because who knows, maybe it was ultimately Bill O'Brien making those calls because it certainly seems like Bill O'Brien has now become one of the more powerful head coaches in the NFL. I don't know much, but I know I love you. But also what I know is that you you do not get in a power struggle with Bill O'Brien because (laughs) you are going to lose. Yeah, unlike Adam Gase, he's never lost one. No, he's like he's he's the master 
of the power struggle. So don't get into the power struggle with Bill O'Brien. Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting to kind of find out why this happened. Some news came out on Thursday when we're recording this that there was some, there's been a lawsuit filed for discriminatory, uh, alleged discriminatory, discriminatory, there you go, practices. So maybe that had something to do with it. It kind of doesn't seem like it. I mean, ultimately, this team entered the offseason with one glaring, obvious need, and they ended up with Matt Khalil and two small school rookies. So, I mean, at some point you go, well, you probably, you didn't do your job. And so maybe, maybe this was kind of justified. I assume there's more going on behind the scenes. I know that when uh, the Patriots guy came in, Easterbay, was that, is that his name? Jack Easterby. Easterby. In April. So when a quote-unquote character coach from the New England Patriots. A life coach, chaplain, high-level executive. You know, they all just kind of blend together. <laughs> I mean, I, I would really like that job description if anybody would like to hire me. But apparently he came in and, and realized that, you know, or said that everything was messed up in there. So I I don't know really what happened, but I'll say I don't think they're really going to miss gain in the long run. The gain firing is really weird. He was basically hired solely to be like Bill O'Brien's buddy. Like, you know, he was no, uh, you know, no secret that he did not get along with Rick Smith, who was forced out for unfortunately uh, tragic personal reasons. But he was replaced by Brian Gain, who all the quotes at the time were basically how Brian Gain and Bill O'Brien were like football soulmates. If you go back and reread the quotes after he was hired, like it was basically like the Texans were trying to do all they could to keep Bill O'Brien happy and like straight up hire his buddy and I guess being Bill O'Brien's buddy does not get you as far as it uh, did in the past because, uh, yeah, a hilariously short tenure. What 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 if he, you know, replaced one maybe acquaintance with Brian Gain with one of his better friends in Jack Easterby? Because, Ray, like you joke, but it certainly seems like that hiring was a tipping point in a lot of big changes. And now if, again, we, we do – you know, make fun of these connections that these teams are trying to have to the Patriots with the Lions and obviously the Texans before that. Um, when Jack Easterby showed up to the Patriots ring ceremony and now the Patriots have filed suit to try to uh, tamper or prevent tampering of the Texans to potentially get Nick Casario out of their front office. So again, this is how I led with this point and this topic. I mean, at the end of the day, I would be stunned, Ray, if this isn't another example of friends hiring friends in the NFL, because it's easier to work with people that you like. Yeah. The cocoon is real. Shout out Evan Silva. Very real. The, the cocoon is real and they try to make it thicker every year. That's what happens. Yep. Imagine the possibilities. If you were just willing to hire people who worked for the other 30 teams, instead of your current team and your most recent X team, uh, yeah. really be a world of possibilities, but I like that the Patriots have set up just feeder clubs. Like it, they're basically, <laughs> again, I like that the Patriots can count on everyone else wanting to keep the good old boys network alive to the degree that Bill Belichick just throws his Lieutenant overboard for what's going to be a sixth round pick. It just can't really overstate what a goat power move it is. How many lions Patriots trades have we seen? We saw another one with Michael Roberts. Like how many <laughs> yep. of those trades have we seen? And I do want to add that I believe I called the Jets firing Mike McCagnan after the draft a 
bit of chaos. Uh, so it's only fair if I call this one chaos as well, just, you know, in the interest of fairness to all the millions and millions and millions of Houston Texans fans there are out there. Uh, okay, let's now go over to Todd Gurley with the LA Rams. Todd Gurley had a fantastic 2018 season. Uh, let's talk about regular season because in the playoffs, in the Super Bowl, I mean, it took a weird and interesting and... I don't know, mysterious turn when CJ Anderson basically became the lead back. Well, that was obviously a story that was going to continue into the offseason, even if CJ Anderson is no longer on the team. Now, Todd Gurley is basically not even participating in the team portions of OTAs. They're just, it seems like a different quote every single day of maybe he's dealing with a chronic knee injury or arthritis. Rap Sheet said that. Uh, his every down back days are over. So, Pat, what do we make of this Todd Gurley situation as we sit here at the beginning of June? Nothing good. Um, cause the pushback really from all parties involved has been quite mild by NFL pushback standards. I mean, no one's no one's like really refuting it. I mean, Todd Gurley's saying things like he feels fine. They're all saying things like he feels fine. But yeah, no one's really saying, oh, Todd Gurley is going to be out there for his regular role uh, handling the ball 25 times in week one. And to me, the, mo- the most concerning part last year wasn't that a guy with the chronic knee injury got hurt again. Uh, you know, that happens all the time. But Todd Gurley got hurt and then was cleared to play and, you know, then barely played. So to me, that hints that something like almost that they view as the new normal. Like he's got to get used to his new baseline. Cause it would have been one thing if the injury was bad enough to hold him out. You know, he had to rehab it for several months, but the fact that they got it to a point where they trusted that they can make him active, but then did not trust that he could handle his usual workload to me is like very concerning and kind of hence kind of like the canary in the coal, coal mine for kind of like what the new normal that everyone's talking about. So yeah, I, I would certainly believe the hype on this one that, with Todd Gurley, as as we've known it, the past the post Jeff Fisher years uh, might no longer be a thing in 2019. The first thing I think is true is that Gurley is going to be quote unquote healthy at the start of the season, and he's going to be the lead back, and he's going to start Week One because they're gonna they're gonna baby him all the way there. So I I'm fairly confident in that. But the second thing I believe is that the Rams are going to manage his reps and get the other running backs much more involved than they have in the past. And the second part of that is a concern because if you're taking Todd Gurley in the end of the first round, you're making a risk-reward bet. You're saying, I'm risking that Gurley's knee is going to go at some point and that I'm going to be without this running back for a while, which, to be fair, is a risk you take with pretty much any running back. So maybe it's a little higher with Gurley, but that risk is still there. But the reason you're taking him there is you're saying, all right, the reward is that I can get this guy who could be the overall running back one. And the reason you would think that is because, well, we saw what he did in 2017. We saw what he did through 14 games last year. But I don't think that we're going to see that same type of girly from an opportunity perspective. I don't think he's going to see that on a week-to-week basis. I mean, they spent a day-two draft pick on Daryl Henderson. They match Malcolm Brown's offer sheet. Every sign they've shown us here is that they are going to use more of a timeshare than they've used in the past. And doing so lowers Gurley's ceiling, and it kind of changes that risk-reward kind of equation a little bit. And so I think that it's something mm-hmm. really worth thinking about. If you're taking Gurley there, understanding that maybe that overall running back one, maybe that's not actually 
in his range of outcomes anymore if the Rams actually go through with this. Hey, you're reading into all those moves. You didn't mention the fact, though, that they let MVP level runner CJ Anderson leave in free agency. CJ Anderson, who will lead the Lions in, in rushing yards this year. To me, yeah. that just speaks to a 100% trust in Gurley's knee, the fact that they could let a talent like CJ Anderson leave. So, to, on, a, on a serious note, uh, <laughs> to your point, Ray, to wrap up your point, like if we did not read any quotes, if we did not read any blurbs, and you should all read blurbs over on RotorWorld.com. I'm not advocating to not do that. But if we just look at, you know, last December until now, this is what has happened with Todd Gurley. He was injured. Then he got healthy, quote unquote healthy. Then he was not featured as prominently as he was prior to the injury. Then they match an offer sheet from another team for their backup running back. That was pretty hefty for a backup running back contract. Then they, I believe, didn't they even trade up for Daryl Henderson uh, out of Memphis? And they view Malcolm Brown as a three down player. They view Daryl Henderson as a big play passing down scat back type player and all of those don't really equal and line up to the contract of an every down franchise foundation back that they gave to Todd Gurley prior to last season so it's only natural I think it's only natural to have really strong concerns as we head into training camp but maybe maybe he will be much more active in training camp I just can't see it really happening despite what they say right now Pat, I know that you wanted to bring up Sony Michelle as well, who's somewhat going through a similar situation with New England. And I believe it just came out. Jeff Howe reported, who's a beat writer for them, that he underwent a knee scope this offseason. He did have a scope and, uh, you know, it's kind of coincided, not coincided, it was the culmination of kind of weeks of mystery and weeks of innuendo about the fact that third rounder Damian Harris is probably going to push him on early downs and kind of with Gurley, that's another situation where kind of like the innuendo and just like the plainly available to see facts kind of align. And, uh, Sonny Michelle, you know, wasn't the same last, he wasn't ineffective, but wasn't the same after his injury he suffered against the bears last year. And, and, you know, a guy who's like uh, pre-draft injury prophecies, like came true, like almost immediately. And he, He's not in Malcolm Mitchell territory quite yet, but the fact that he dealt with his seemingly chronic issue as a rookie and then like barely practiced uh, his sophomore offseason, and then you know the the fact that then the Patriots then used a day two pick on a running back. When you see an amazing organization like the Patriots use a day one pick on a running back, and then the very next year it followed up with a, a day two pick, uh, you know, there's again that's kind of nothing good said there about Sony Michelle's prospects. So. Another person where, uh, unfortunately, I own him in our, uh, the Roto World Dynasty League. I, I'm definitely buying the hype on concern about Sonny Michelle's uh, health and role headed into 2019. And yeah, like you mentioned, Harris is just another layer of concern. You had to be concerned yeah. about Michelle's knee. Uh, you would have been even without news that there was a scope, even if he didn't miss time, because that's just kind of the situation we're in with him. Now you add the extra layer of Damian Harris, who, like you mentioned, they spent a third round pick on. All the talk in the offseason has been about him and how good he's played. So, like, you're, you're just adding in kind of layers of concern. Now, to be fair, unlike Todd Gurley, Sonny Michelle, you don't have to draft in the first round. And all of this concern is even, I think, pushing his, his draft cost down a little bit. So it's a, it's a bit of a different situation. But, like, just like with Gurley, you're just adding layer after layer of concern. And at some point, that builds up and you just say, 
well, maybe maybe I don't even want to have to deal with this. And just as we think we have somewhat of a handle on the Patriots running back situation after, you know, Michelle locked down the rushing scoring role, we we just don't anymore. Okay, we've already passed the 30 minute mark. So if you all have any quick hitters that are news worthy, this whole Trent Williams thing makes no sense. I mean, I know that he had this mysterious surgery that uh, had a growth or tumor removed on his head. And then almost immediately, Jason Lockenfor reports that he's like refusing to play for the Washington Redskins. Ray, am I reading that situation correctly? Yeah, I, I believe that he demanded a trade, I think is what Lockenfor said. It seems like it seems like this is kind of like a two prong thing. He's not happy with his contract. And then I guess he also thinks they mismanaged his medical situation. Well, it's, just, it's just stunning because Washington has so perfectly handled every health situation <laughs> over the past eight or nine years. So it just came out of left field. Yeah, it's not like two of their players had got infections in their surgically repaired legs last year. It's not like how, 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 how. But I mean, for for Washington, that's a big story because like for sure they don't have they don't have any tackle depth. Uh, Ty Neshke is gone. He's he's in Buffalo now. We don't really know how much Jerron Christian can offer, and he's coming off a knee injury. I mean, they were I, I believe I read they were playing Eric Flowers at left tackle during during the offseason program, which um, is yep. is not ideal. They were which. Nick Minzio uh, slipped in a rare LOL at a Roto World blurb uh, when Perfect. he wrote that. We're with the times at Roto World. But like you weren't expecting anything in this passing game anyway. But like for the running backs, it's just it's it's just a big, big concern that the left side of this offensive line is just not going to be any good. I mean, are we concerned about James Conner? Uh, I wrote him up for oh. the outliers recently for the Roto World draft guide, which will be available for purchase online or in stores next month. Um, I was lower on him than the group and it kind of, he's been another guy where all the talk has been more about how, you know, we're, we're used to the Steelers being a bell cow backfield, but all the talk has been, you know, they're going to be a two back backfield this year. And he's still being drafted as kind of a clear cut RB one. And I, I still know what, what the, the wisdom there is uh, great. And I don't know if you guys share my concerns or not. Yeah, I think that that's I think it's fair to be concerned about that. I probably uh, when I update my rankings um, after kind of after all this ends, I'll probably move him down. And I think that you can even look last year. He came back for week 17. Now he's coming off an injury layoff. So maybe maybe you don't you know, you don't read too much into it. But week 17 last year, Connor played 32 snaps. Samuels played 31. Connor got 14 carries and three targets. Um, Samuels got only two carries, but eight targets. Like it makes sense yeah. for them to use them kind of in that way. Samuels certainly offers more as a pass catching. He's got that versatile background, that kind of tight end background, H back. He's like a Charles Clay type almost. Yeah, like so he can do those types of things. Getting them on the field together makes some sense. But I, I think that I think that it's likely that Connor gets less volume this year per game, or at least a smaller percentage of the carries and targets than he did last year. And that's, that's a concern. If we're going to think he's going to come back and be the guy that he was before he was injured, you know, maybe that doesn't happen. Then obviously they also drafted Benny Snell, who really is like the most North South runner, not overly athletic that you've ever seen, right? He's just super standard in that area. So like talent wise, I think we all agree that James Conner is the most talented back in there. Uh, Ray, before we close this out, did I miss anything? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, 
Obviously, Rashard Matthews. Rashard Matthews just signed for the Saints. Big deal. Big deal. Big deal. Actually, Neil you know, Sterling, a much bigger deal. You know what's funny? Rashard Matthews might actually be a big deal. Like that guy's good. I know. Like, I was actually thinking that. <laughs> <laughs> Rashard uh, Matthews actually sometimes, good. Yeah. Yeah. Ray and I both sometimes shoot off the sarcasm gun a little too uh, liberally. Um, Got to keep Got the it. safety on more often. Some might uh, say before your brain processes exactly what you're saying. <laughs> Hold on, you saying happen. you saying we speak we speak before we think? I would never do such no, a thing. Those were not the words that never just do such came thing. out of my mouth. Uh, I do want to add that Jared McCoy also signed while I was gone. That'll be an interesting Panthers front to me. They are spending nine million dollars more than any other team this season on their defensive linemen. Like that's wild for a team that you know didn't rack up pressure after pressure after pressure last season. Well, they're, they're obviously shifting some of their defensive philosophies. They're trying to be more multiple, but a, you know, three-man front of Don Terry Poe, K1 Short, and Gerald McCoy, I'm not even sure exactly what gaps are going to line up in our alignments are going to have, uh, would just be interesting for me to watch in the preseason once that rolls around. Uh, okay, I think that's it. Guys, thanks for catching me up. Um, I will be back to work and I guess we have six weeks until training camp starts up, but until then, and we're going to try to get this podcast back to two times a week, depending on how my lovely friends, how much, how often they want to talk to me. So, uh, until then, hopefully maybe Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, something like that. We'll talk to y'all soon. See ya. Thanks guys. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.